CHP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode. And welcome back, you golfing legends, to another episode of the original Off Course. I am your host, Dan Edwards, and joining me this week, 30, specifically 30 episodes later, is Mr. Terry Kaler of Edison Golf. Terry, welcome back. Oh, it's great to be back, Dan. Always fun. You know, you haven't been busy at all in the time that we talked. You didn't, you know, design a brand new wedge, get some form testing going on THP, uh, disrupting the wedge experience uh, all over the internet, so far as I know. What's been going on? Well, you know, we introduced the uh, the 2.0 version, the Edison 2.0 wedges in uh, late March. Um, had a lot of coverage at THP and around the internet, around the golf news media. Uh, people, you know, embracing our story or they're challenging our story and they're not sure about it yet. So you're talking to a lot of people. Our team is on the phone talking to people, answering emails every day. Um, you know, when you put a new product into production, there's always challenges and uh we worked through that with a, and plus the initial big rush of orders that uh, always challenges you with the new model. But we're, you know, we're settling into a regular flow and things are going very well. And uh, the people getting our wedges are really liking them. And uh, and so we just uh, keep doing what we're doing to to try to change people's thinking about this short end of their set and, and what those clubs uh, need to be doing for you as a golfer uh, at the short end of the set. Are you telling me once you design a wedge, you don't just forge it five times, then head to the golf course? No, it's a little more involved than that. And I, I like coming to work. I like talking to golfers. I like solving problems. And, you know, some problems are a little different to challenge. But, you know, there's always, you know, learning about new shafts. And there's so many new exotic wedge shafts out there. And, you know, people are looking into these. So you're always evaluating, you know, how does this shaft work in our wedge? How does that shaft work in our wedge? Always evaluating that, listening to customers that that have bought them, um, and and continually looking at at the product. I mean, we know this this arrangement of wedge heads is forty five degrees to fifty nine degrees. We cover the whole short end of the bag, um, but we enhanced our performance over our first generation Edison wedges, and you know, spin rates went up, and, and distance dispersion went down, and you know, so we're you know, we're six weeks into, uh, really five weeks into producing uh, orders with this new wedge. So we're, you know, getting a lot of customer feedback, people loving what we're doing. Uh, a lot of people that played our first generation and then moved up to this and some people that never got around to playing our first generation. But you know, we've got a story that makes sense, Dan, because we're talking about, you know, recreational golfers, not elite tour players. That's not who we serve. Um, and that's really a big part of our story is we're so different than everybody in the wedge category because everybody's focused on that tour design wedge. So, you know, these products don't vary very much in appearance. And then my testing is they don't vary very much in performance either. Um, we're trying to, to give the golfer an alternative if he, he or she has not been happy with prior wedge purchases and hadn't really seen the improvement in their wedge game that maybe they saw from their last driver or their last set of irons or the last putter. And we want to, we want to deliver that visible improvement in, short, in scoring range performance. You have to get outside the box to do that, which we, we live outside the box. Well, one of my favorite things straight out of the gate is you go from 45 to 59. So you've clearly been reading my posts on THP all the time saying that 
the 60 degree wedge is is inappropriate if anything <laughs> so what is what is the decision making that goes into going from 45 to 59 i know there are some golfers out there who obsess over 60 plus uh, i'd imagine based on the fact that it is a forge product you can modify it a bit but why why start at 45 and why stop at 59 well you know let's start with the second half of the question we the original generation of Edison wedges, we went all the way to 63 degrees. And, and in those high lofts, we have rave reviews on those. There's a very, and I think a, a shrinking number of golfers who are trying to, to, to manage these 61, 63 degree wedges. There's a handful of people that I've seen that are recreational golfers that are pretty good with them. But for the most part, they're, as you've written, they're hard to master. I mean, wedges by nature are the most difficult clubs in the bag because even at 50, 53 degrees, this is a glancing blow compared to say a seven arm strike or a driver strike. So because it's a glancing blow, wedge shots are more critical of, of you know, your hand placement through impact, you know, how your hands are ahead of the club head because this glancing blow can be enhanced a lot more than say a seven arm where you make pretty much the same kind of full swing all the time. But that wedge, you're trying to do different things with it. You're hitting it different distances. And um, so, you know, what we see is those high loft wedges, recreational golfers either don't have or don't spend the time that it takes to really get intimate, if you want to say so, with that super high loft wedge. And, and what we found is <clears throat> at 30 to 70 yards, the average golfer is going to get optimum spin and distance control with wedges in the 51 to 54 degree range, actually. So, you know, a lot of golfers instinctively go to their highest lofted wedge anytime they're inside full swing range. But what we've found and, and we've showed people this, go to that 51 or 53 degree, 54 degree wedge for those intermediate shots. You don't have to swing as hard. You're less likely to balloon the ball and, and you'll get more, more consistent distance once you get comfortable with that golf club. You know, as far as our range of loss, we go down to 45 degrees because, you know, that's the P club as I call it. I mean, I just wrote recently about the fact that most people don't even have a true pitching wedge in their bag anymore because that's a 50 to 52 degree golf club, what we came to call the, the gap wedge. <clears throat> but these modern P clubs, as I call them, they're really just the 10th iron in your set. You know, they're the number 10 iron. They're 42, 43, 45 degrees, and they don't behave like a true wedge. If you look at it, that club is designed to look like your five iron. And your five iron or your six iron is 15 degrees from that golf club in loft and, and two, two and a half inches in length. And if you go two, two and a half inches and 15 degrees in the other direction from that seven iron, you're at your three wood. Well, nobody ever said, I love my seven iron. Can you make a three wood that looks like that? And so why would you want a 45 or 44 degree club that looks like that 28 degree club? Almost, almost no one, Terry. Nobody's ever said that, right? <laughs> And because we know that as loft and length dynamics change, ball flight dynamics change, and the ball comes off of a 44-degree golf club at 36 inches much differently than it does off of a 28-degree club at 37 and a half. So, you know, I'm a big believer every club in the set has a specific purpose uh, to give you a full swing yardage, to give you, you know, less than full swing distance control. And, and so, you know, what you ask your seven iron to do and your and your nine iron to do and your and your P club or your gap wedge or your sand wedge or lob wedge, 
these clubs all have a different task. They have a, you know, it's kind of like I've written before. It's like you have a team of players in your bag. You know, if you take your driver and your putter out, they're very specialized tools. You're left with, if you're playing a 14 club limit, you're left with 12 golf clubs to dissect any golf course you happen to come up against. And so it's like having a football team. You got big linemen, you have fast receivers, you've got resilient running backs, you got a quarterback. You know, you have everybody's got a, a, a role to play in that play. And just in your, your golf bag, every club has a role to play in your round of golf. Um, and designing the 45-degree club to look just like the 25-degree club has never made any sense to me. They're, they're, you know, your, your three-wood is different than your hybrid. Your hybrids are different than your middle irons. Your middle irons then look like your short irons and maybe even your, your extended. I, I think that these companies that are extending the wedges in their iron sets, but they all still look like a seven iron, I, I think is a bad move. And I don't think the performance is there from what everything I see. You know, people need to look at their set as, you know, it's my team I'm putting together. What do I need that 47 and 49 degree golf club to do? What do I need that 28 degree golf club to do? What do I need that 11 degree golf club to do? What do I need that two degree loft putter to do? What do I need these clubs to do? And then let me select a club that does that. Does that make any sense? I mean, that's the yeah, way I yeah. look at it. Yeah, I, th- I think there's uh, obviously there's a lot going on there. I'm a personally a big fan of once I get inside probably 95 yards, it's a one club for me type of thing. Because if I practice more, Terry, I'd probably be more inclined to mix it up. But my understanding is I have a wedge that has a specific grind on it that has intent to create workability through. And I'm talking about face angle, and that's my 58, uh, my 54, my 50 or more. I would call them specialized for just standard swings from certain numbers. Um, so the idea of changing into that 54 from a, a 30 to 70 yard range is a bit scary to me, but like the intent is that if I practice it more, I'd probably be more creative. I also don't use a seven iron around the greens, which I see some people do uh, more akin to what you I'm assuming called an old like chipper or something like that. Uh, but I want to ask you, having said that, there are intentionally different wedge grinds and and certainly as you go through the wedge options you have different grinds and different bounce options available um do you consider the the highest lofted wedge in someone's bag to be the most specialized in terms of face movement prior to impact would you consider the lower lofted options like uh the 45 or the 50 or i guess 49 would those be more of that singular face setup kind of concept? What's your perspective there? Well, I think if if, <clears throat> if these clubs in the short end your set are designed right, and I think you get into this, you kind of touched on this idea of bounces and grinds, and it's another whole topic we can get into in just a minute. But, you know, I look at, at where do you have your best consistency? I mean, you know, if you're confident in your 58 you know, for all these shots inside, say, 70 yards, maybe you consider your your 54 and your 48 to be just an extension of your full swing golf club. But I've always contended the full swing with a wedge is not the same as a full swing with an 8-iron even. Um, you know, there was a quote, you know, I spent a lot of years with, with the Ben Hogan thing. I spent a lot of years studying Ben Hogan, and he had a quote one time I just really relished, and he said, show me a golfer who hits full swing wedges. I want to play him for money. And, uh, you know, and, and so, 
you know, wedges are harder to control at full swing. You've got the heaviest head in the set on the shortest shaft and the, therefore the stiffest shaft. And it's really harder to stay ahead of the, of the club head because you've got all this mass that you started moving when you made your downswing move. And my observation and, and research from 65,000 wedge fitting profiles is golfers tend to hit their wedges too high, they say. Well, my theory has always been of that is you watch how they hit wedges and they, they don't have the, the body rotation strength or the hand strength to keep their, their hands ahead of the club head through impact. But if they'll slow that down and swing that wedge at what you may consider 80 or 85% of, quote, full swing, what you find is trajectory comes down, spin rate goes up, and distance is, is improved, and your directional control and your trajectory control is vastly improved. I mean, everybody can relate to you have that little less than full swing wedge shot, and so you throttle your swing back and you fly it right over the top of the flag, and you're going, holy crap, it went further than than it, I thought it would, that's because you reached some optimum impact efficiency because you slowed everything down and you're able to keep your hands ahead of the club through impact and pinch the ball properly, make more precise impact. So I've always believed a, you know, a full swing, you know, pitching wedge shot or a full swing gap wedge shot is something in the 80, 85, 90% of what maybe a full swing non-art feels like. And you'll get better control of, of distance, trajectory, spin, it all goes better. And what we've designed, the reason I go all the way down to 45 degrees is because I want to give you the option to gap your set from where your nine iron is. And, and you know, now they're seeing, I had a friend the other day, I had a new set of irons from a brand I'll keep anonymous for their own benefit. And the P Club is 43 degrees. There's another top brand, one of the hottest clubs out there. The P Club is 42 degrees. Well, now that technology, it doesn't make that club perform at 60 yards, which is where you'd like to have a pitching wedge. And I just wrote a, a, a post a couple of weeks ago about nobody's carrying a true pitching wedge anymore because they've got this 43, 45 degree P club. And that's just not enough loft to hit a little pitch shot with. So people instinctively bypass, as you just mentioned, you bypass your 48 and your 54 and go straight to your 58 for all of your pitch shots. Um, and, and that club introduces a higher margin of error because of the loft. And again, I challenge you to say, okay, I'm going to go out someday and I'm just going to hit 54 degree wedges from 40 yards, 60 yards, 80 yards, where I would normally pick a 58. I just want to see what happens if I listen to what Terry had to say. You're going to flight the ball over the flag some, but you're going to start seeing really good spin and good trajectory control. And if you spend a little bit of time with it, you, I think you'll find you can improve your consistency unless you're an extremely good player with that 58. I think you'll find you'll improve your efficiency, you know, and that's basically not making bogeys with the wedge in your hand. Right. That would be that nice. Would be nice. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess my question on that, it would be, does this have a lot more to do with dynamic loft than anything else? You you touched on golfers inability to keep their hands ahead of the club head with a wedge just based on weighting length, all that it's, it's a challenging concept. And, and I know there's a, a, a definite lo logical argument on diminishing returns as to how much loft there is on a wedge, right? So at, at some point there, there has to be a combination of the two. I'm assuming your concern has, has a fair bit to do with dynamic loft as well, right? 
Well, yeah, I mean, the, the golf ball doesn't know what the loft of that golf club is stamped on the bottom. The golf ball only knows what was the dynamic loft and the pathway at impact. The ball's going to react to that. But in wedges, what the ball is with the volatility of wedge shots and is with conventional tour design wedges, you get a smash factor and a gear effect at the third or fourth groove in the center of the face. That's very different than you get if you hit it up at the fifth or sixth or seventh groove, which we mostly do. And, you know, the more loft you add to the golf club, the harder it is to make contact low in the face because that loft is raking that face backwards. So that ball tends to go up the face and people think maybe that 58 automatically is going to spin more than that 54. But our research indicates that's not necessarily true because that 58, you're more likely to get a glancing blow because of the extra loft. You're more likely to hit it a little higher in the face, which minimizes smash factor and gear effect because there's no mass up there on all other wedges in the market except mine. But even on ours, there's less mass high in the face than there is at the bottom. But we've put more mass on the top of the golf club by 40 to 45% than any other wedge out there. What optimizes ball flight is smash factor, which is the efficiency of energy transfer, club head speed to ball speed, and gear effect, which is the basically how much mass is on any side of where that impact point is made. So on a wedge, gear effect is more vertical, whereas on a driver, we think of heel and toe gear effect. You hit it on the toe tends to take a draw spin. You hit it in the heel, it tends to take a, a, a fade spin. But in a wedge, when you hit it high on the face, it, it launches higher with less spin because all the mass was below the point of impact. So when you get into looking at really good wedge players, their wear pattern is the size of a diamond. It's right around the third group. Looks, I mean, they almost blade everything there. But that's where the mass is in that tour design wedge. But I look at hundreds and hundreds of wedges over my career, probably thousands, and I snoop around in bag rooms, and I see recreational golfers have a wear pattern the size of a silver dollar, and it's centered up around the fifth or sixth group. So they have two options, either go practice and learn how to hit it like a tour player or play a wedge that's designed around where you hit it. And, you know, that's, the, that's what we've done at Edison is I designed this wedge to, to optimize impact up a little higher in the face without minimizing the quality of impact when you do catch it down on that third or fourth group, which with any wedge is going to give you superior performance. So you made, so you made, you made you two made, comments that basically set the tone for that for, for golfers, I think. It, you mentioned that uh, looking different is a good thing, um, willing, willingly saying that your wedge maybe doesn't have that traditional wedge profile that a lot of folks would see out there. Uh, but it has everything to do with getting mass into the right place. And I'm sort of quoting from the website there. This is all about getting the the mass above the base of the club, right? You're moving it up into more of the um, the top end of the face section. Yeah, we're putting more mass above that third or fourth groove than anybody in golf by a big factor. If you look at all the wedges in the game, you know, if you have five-year-old wedges in your bag and you look at some new ones on the rack, doesn't matter what brand it is, they're all a little thicker in the top. They know this works, but the big companies are afraid to just, I mean, if you're the market leader, we all know what brand that is. You're not out there to try to make radical changes in wedges because you're number one wedge on the market. And everybody else is trying to figure out how to make wedges like the number one wedge in the market. So nobody ventures too far from the traditional tour design look. But 
if you look at the history, and I've been studying this industry for close to 50 years now and playing the game for 65 since I was a little kid, if you look at every development in golf clubs, it was because somebody was unafraid to depart from the norm. So the ping answer looked nothing like an 8802 or a bullseye or a Ray Cook mallet, all those beautiful putters of the 50s and 60s. And here comes the ping answer. And it, it changed the look of putters forever. And then here comes this metal wood. And everybody's trying to figure out how to make persimmon drivers better and better by incrementally binding face inserts, whatever. Here comes this metal wood that's smaller than a persimmon driver, but you can hit it from anywhere. And then so people adopted that. And then here comes along comes Ely Callaway with big birds on everybody goes, that's the stupidest looking thing I've ever seen until you hit it. And it was like cheating. And you know, look at hybrids. People struggle with two irons, three irons, four irons. And you know, somebody comes up with this idea of, you know, hey, how about we just make a little squished up fairway wood where we can put more weight low and give them a faster face. And now, you know, there's virtually not a golfer in the world from the PJ Tour on down that doesn't have at least one hybrid in their bag. Well, nobody bought a hybrid because it looks so sweet. And they bought it because it works so damn well. You know, we look at the big spaceship mallets and the high MOI. Nobody said this is prettier than the 8802 or even a ping answer. But, hey, this thing really works. And, you know, in our industry, we've constantly said, let's challenge the way things look because I can't make them work different if I don't also make them look different. And, you know, that's just form follows function. And if you're looking to do things in a, with a wedge like I'm looking to do, I want to give you penetrating ball flight, more gear effect, better smash factor in the top of the face. I can't do that and make it look like everybody else's wedge. So, you know, but at address, it's very conventional looking. It just looks different in the back. So you don't have to look at that. You set the glove down. It looks like anybody else's wedge. It's got a great profile and, and nice leading edge hosel alignment but there's muscle packed behind where you're likely to hit the golf ball. And one of the things about CG and all this kind of stuff, it's not just about CG. It's about where is the actual mass. So if you take a hammer, and I like to use this illustration, if you take a carpenter's hammer, now, other than pneumatic nail guns, nobody's really, really improved on the hammer for hundreds of years, right? I mean, hammers today look like they did in the 1700s. And they're very efficient at driving a nail. You drive a nail with a hammer, it's like, okay, nobody's ever really improved on this except for pneumatic nail gun. But if you turn that same hammer on its side and try to drive the nail where the handle goes into the hammer, it's the same hammer, it's the same U, it's the same nail, and yet that blow does not deliver near the energy to that nail that it did when you used it properly. And that's in a golf club. You have to have mass behind that golf ball. Wherever that impact is made, you need some thickness. You need some mass behind that golf ball. Um, I got into a conversation with two of the top golf equipment writers in the world about CG. And I said, I could make a wedge out of aluminum. And with the use of tungsten inserts, I could make the CG be anywhere I want it to be. And that golf club is still going to be horrible because there's no mass where I'm making contact. I've surrounded that area with mass, but I have a, it's like that hammer. I surrounded that strike point with mass, but I don't have any mass right behind the strike point. So that's the challenge of golf clubs, particularly in the scoring clubs. It's a very different challenge than a three-wood or a hybrid or a driver or even a five-iron. I want the mass behind that golf ball, and I want it up where the point of impact is, and I want that mass above that point of impact so that I can optimize gear effect to give you more spin.
It's the opposite of a driver, basically. Excuse me, what we're looking for in wedges. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated, I'm, Ben. I'm fascinated by that because there's so much conversation out there right now about hollow body profiles. And you mentioned drivers. I mean, it's a great example. There's absolutely no mass directly behind the point of contact or even uh, cavity backs, you know, cavity back wedges. There, there's a transitional logic at this point right now from a number of manufacturers that says, if you're not going to hit perfect contact all the time, consider this wedge, which separates that mass a little bit. What's your perspective on either the hollow body or the cavity back as a solution? Well, I think fast faces have done a lot for the long end of the set. You know, hollow body, fast faces, going back to perimeter weighting. You know, but I but I believe from testing that you'll see that these clubs don't throw as consistent a, a distance profile. So, you know, in, in my driver, if I occasionally, and we've all experienced it, you occasionally hit a driver so perfectly sweet, it's 10 to 15 yards longer than your average because there's a certain perfect hot spot in that fast-paced driver. And they're chasing forgiveness, but there is one spot that just rockets. Well, that's fine on a driver, but the occasional wedge shot that flies 15 yards further is going to put you in a back bunker or worse, and nobody ever scores a golf course from behind the green. It just they're not Golf courses aren't scorable from back there. With wedge play, we're looking at distance consistency as our number one benchmark. How can I give you as consistent a smash factor and launch and spin as I possibly can in the range of impacts you make in the course of around the golf? And you caught that one really nice down on the third groove. The next one was on the fifth groove, a little bit toward the toe. The next one was on the seventh groove, a little toward the heel. My goal is how do I get those all to fly as close to the same distance as possible? Because if you push it or pull it, I can't do anything about that. You know, that's a swing flaw. If you hit it fat and chunk it, you hit it in the eyebrows. These are swing flaws. There's one company that advertises no more chunks and skulls, and that's garbage. The, the golf pro can help you eliminate chunks and skulls. The golf club cannot do that. You know, we, we in the golf club business can, can manage one thing, and that's performance at a given point of impact on the face. And that's all we can do in the golf club business. We can't make your swing better. We can't turn you into a 500-yard driver of the golf ball if you hit it 210. I mean, you know, we just we can't do these things. So my whole singular drive is how do I improve the quality of the not-so-good shots? Because your worst ones are going to be bad regardless of whose wedge you're playing, and your best ones are going to be good. They're going to be super regardless of whose wedge you're playing. My whole goal is how do I improve the performance that's not perfect, but it's not terrible because I can't do anything about this. I'm honest about it. I mean, if you have a terrible wedge game, go find a golf professional. But your wedges are part of your terrible golf game because you're hitting pretty good shots that are not turning out as good as they ought to. And that's my world. I live in the world of pretty good shots. How's that? That's great. <laughs> that's great. So, so you, you mentioned that mass matters a lot. And, and I, I certainly understand and agree where you're coming from. What about things like waiting? How critical is waiting? And, and I don't just mean like swing waiting, but also where the weight is centered on the golf club. How, how much of an impact does that have, do you think? Well, I mean, that has a huge thing, but I've been talking about, about this, like this hammer analogy, you know, where is the mass and the thickness and the weight in relation to where that ball is struck? So on, on our Edison 2.0 design, you actually, when you, when you move impact a half an inch, three eighths of an inch, three quarters of an inch away from perfect, you actually have a thicker cross section behind the miss than you did behind the perfect shot. Because on the perfect shot, 
the whole design of the club is optimized. But on that slight miss, I think you need more thickness behind that. I've learned this through all the wedges I've designed for Score, for Hogan, back to my early designs at Reed Lockhart and Eidolon in the late 90s and 2000s. I want mass behind where that ball was struck and, and above that where that ball was struck more than I want it in the full perimeter. Um, and again, because I'm looking for distance consistency. So I want, you know, if that perfect gap wedge shot flies 102 for you and you miss it a half an inch, I want to still give you 98 out of it. I can't give you 102 everywhere. That, there's one perfect spot on every golf club. But I want to give you closer to the pin on the half inch miss, the three quarter inch miss than what you're used to getting. And, and what's interesting about wedges you have wedge junkies out there that guys that lo- and girls do that love to buy wedges. But for the, for the most part, golfers have gotten kind of, uh, uh, they've got kind of anesthetized to wedge buying because when they buy new wedges, they don't see the same improvement as when they buy a new putter or a new driver or a new set of irons. Mm-hmm. And, and we're trying to change that. We're, you know, we're trying to show you a new wedge can make a difference, but not if it looks just like the wedge you got rid of. I mean, you've got to change the form to change the function. And I've just, I, I hate to sound like I'm preaching that over and over, but form follows function. And the function we're after is to give you better distance consistency on your wedge shots from the ones that are perfect to the ones that are not quite so good. So when it comes to shafts, what about uh, making those selections? You had mentioned uh, earlier on some things about pairing shafts and how critical that is. I believe you have, and I'm just scrolling through the website right now, it's uh, KBS options in both steel and uh, graphite, but also in three different weight ranges for each, which is good. Uh, I'm assuming a little bit of uh, soft stepping or hard stepping to accommodate very specific weighting. What, uh, when it came to 2.0, how, how critical were you at finding that right shaft pairing that would work? Well, I'm a, I've always been preaching about wedge shafts are just as important as your driver shaft, even though your club head speed is reduced because the wedge is a, is a, you know, it's a more finicky product. So what I look for in a wedge shaft, first thing I want to do is say, what are you playing in your irons? What are you used to in weight and flex and material? So if you take a golfer and not see them all the time, they've, they've gotten custom fitted for irons or playing a 70 or 80 gram R flex or maybe even a flex graphite. And they're going to get in two or three wedges off the shelf that are 130 gram stiff flex steel. They've got a 45 or 50 gram disconnect. There's no way you can make the same swing. And so my first thing is let's get a seamless transition so that your wedges feel like and balance like and and are weighted like your iron. So from your eight to your nine to your wedges, there's, there's no big jump in there in weight or flex. I'm a huge fan of graphite shafts and wedges. KBS is doing a phenomenal job. Uh, we use their PGI line. We offer uh, currently on our website, you can choose 70, 80, or 90 gram in the KBS PGI. Excuse me, the PGI. We offer 100. We're offering 50s and 60s. We offer some exotic shafts. We we like the KBS Tour in our steel shaft. We offer it in a 110R and a 120S and a 130X, which I... I don't believe in X-flex wedges, but if you want them, I'll build them for you. I just don't think it's a good – I mean, if tour players as strong as these guys are, if they're not playing X-flex wedges, then you shouldn't because you don't get enough movement in little short shots around the green. I think your wedge shaft should be a hair softer than your irons, in fact, you know, if you're playing really stiff iron. But we do – you know, we build every we build every, every club we build to order. So 
um, you know, we do a lot of shafts that are non-standard. We build on the, the BGT shafts, which are quite popular, the LA Golf. You know, we build stuff on True Temper, on Rifle. You know, we'll build whatever a golfer wants. If they have shaft in their irons and, and they really like it, hey, let's build your wedges to blend right into that. And just because you want to get that seamless transmission transition, you don't want that gap wedge to feel totally different than the pitching wedge or the nine iron. Is I mean, that just is counterproductive. So we're all about that. We we uh, used our standard grip as the Lampkin Crossline 360. I really like it. There's no graphics to get in the way. Um, and but we do a lot of non-standard grips as well. You know, we the, I believe you build the wedges for each golfer based on their profile. And our our online wedge fit exercise helps us get a good insight into the golfer's bag. So you've got wedge so you've got fit, wedge. but you also have uh, uh, a risk-free trial, and I'm really curious about that. I know it's a unique process purchasing online. There's there's always a little bit of concern, but you back it with trust in the idea that they're making a good selection for their bag. How much does that risk-free trial matter to you? I mean, I'd, I'd like everybody to take it. I mean, I think that, you know, you have to take a wedge. You can't choose the right wedge in a hitting bay. You, you're you not going to get turf interaction. You're not going to see the ball. You can see, you know, this launch monitor says you're launching that at 28 degrees or 35 degrees. I don't know what that looks like. I mean, I do, but most golfers don't. You need to go out and hit the shots where you normally hit your wedge and go hit this one and and watch the, how the ball interacts with the green. Watch how the ball flies. Watch how you got away with that little toe miss. Watch how you got away with that shot that was just a hair fat, you know, and, and learn how you're going to get away with things. So what we sell is, you know, thievery. You're going to get away with things that you don't get away with. You're not used to getting away with those misses, and we're going to give you – you know, the opportunity to get away with some misses and, and your best shots are going to be better than they've ever been. Um, but everybody's had a wedge shot that just knocks the flag down. And, you know, those are great, but we want those to happen more often. And we want those, you know, those wedge shots that end up 20 feet in the hole. We want to get you to 12 and that wedge shot that ends up 40 feet. We want to get you to 25. Um, and that's what, what wedge play is all about. So, you know, we find we get three out of a hundred back on our risk-free trial, maybe, uh, some people think we're in the miracles business and we can turn them from a bad wedge player to a great wedge player overnight. We can't do that. I'm very honest about that. But if you'll play this three or four or five rounds, you're going to see you're getting away with things that you didn't used to get away with. And you're going to see some ball action that you're not used to seeing from the wedges that are in your bag. So one of the things that I've been sitting here pondering, and we've talked a lot about mass in the right place, um, I think that what golfers tend to lean towards is what feels or sounds good. And typically in my perspective, when there's more mass behind a product in the right place and you're making contact with that mass there, there's a better chance that that is going to feel better, especially on the ears. Um, do you, do you see a lot of feedback that says, man, I'm just really flushing these because their contact is still in that larger circle, but they're not missing the bottom mass where most like tour level players would be making contact with the intent of the quality feedback. Well, I think feel is a very difficult thing to talk to people about because there are no words to really quantify feel. And one of the things that we find people that this wedge, because of the shaping and the way it's forged and the thickness of it, 
you know, it feels different than what golfers are used to. And as I mentioned, when I look at golfers wedges, the wear pattern is higher in the face than say an elite tour player. So they're used to what really is kind of a soft feel, even though that's a cast wedge, because there's no mass behind impact, but, and that's what they're used to. So sometimes when, you know, we get, some people say this club felt a lot more hard and solid than what I'm used to. That's because there's 40, 45% more mass behind where you're hitting the golf ball. There's more thickness there in addition to being forged and not cast and this kind of thing. But, um, you know, that shot hit low in the club head. Um, we all know that, you know, the thin to wind shot. And it feels harsh with, with any iron or wedge because that's where all the mass is. So, you know, when <clears throat> a lot of people, it takes some time to get used to our wedges and how they feel and how the ball comes off of the wedge a little hotter, particularly around the greens. Um, that little shot hit high in the face comes out a little hotter with a little more spin. Um, and so any any new wedge is going to take some getting used to. But um, and, and then our sole design, you know, it interacts with the turf different than anything you've ever played. Um, but, it, it, you know, the, it's like a new putter. You, you know, you, it takes some time and getting used to it. If you make a big change, if you go from a blade to a mallet or, a you know, a face mallet putter back to heel shafted or whatever, these new feels take time to get used to. And and these wedges are no different. We That's why we offer, you know, we say 30 days. I mean, if you need 40 or 45 to get the rounds in, we know if you play enough rounds with this golf club, you're going to see what we're doing really works. That's the key. You know, you, but you've got to put it in play. You've got to put it in battle and, and see what happens. Uh, so one of the most popular things about the wedges you've designed uh, is the Kaler sole. And people see it and they're curious about it. And, you know, we, we've we've known it for a while now, but did you make any subtle changes to that, that that style or that design moving into 2.0 or is that fairly similar to what we've seen in the past? You know, I designed this sole on the trip to St. Andrews in 1990 and got a patent on this design uh, a few years after that. And I've tweaked it a little bit, but I'm finding it's really hard to improve on what I've had in this sole for the last 10 or 15 years because it just works. And you know, we put a high bounce in the front edge of the sole, a low bounce in the back edge of the sole. My whole thing is I don't think you can fit bounce unless you can answer the question, what is your next wedge lie going to look like? And the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that. I mean, I use, you know, people say, well, if you have a steep angle of attack, a shallow angle of attack, well, I don't know a recreational golfer or a tour professional that takes the same size divot every time. You change the angle of attack either on purpose or intent or accidentally, depending on your skill level. And, you know, I use my golf course for an example. So on my number seven is the par three hole. It's got bunkers on both sides. <clears throat> if you miss it left, you're on a wet pack sand bunker because that bunker doesn't drain. It's hard, wet pack sand. But if you miss it to the right of the flag, you're in a bunker that does drain really well. And it's got sand that's got a nice inch and a half, two inches of fluffy sand there. Okay, what bounce do I need? Because I don't know where I'm going to miss that shot on number seven next time. I don't know if I'm going to miss it right or left. But, but I need a nice high loft on both of those, but I need a high loft with good bounce if I'm in the right bunker because I'm hitting to a green slope in a way, and I need high loft with low bounce in the left bunker because i got to get it up over that bunker is, you know, four feet below the green. So I don't think you can fit bounce. I think you have to have a sole that will handle damn near anything you can find pretty well and most things very well. And, you know, that's the interesting thing about golf is it throws all kind of lies and shots at us. We don't really know what we're going to get. 
you know, in the in the round, uh, in the four hour, five hours of a round of golf, we're going to get we're going to get to see all kinds of lies and turf conditions. And, you know, uh, I mean, there are places on every golf course where you can have a really tight lie a foot from a, a fluffy lie in the rough. You know, did it roll into the rough or did it stay in the tight lie? You know, and, um, you know, you have nice dry, soft bunkers, but it rained an inch and a half last night. So today they're wet sand. And the tour player, he gets to go to the van and get a bunch of new wedges if the conditions change overnight. And the rest of us, like, hey, we made an investment in a set of wedges. They need to, they need to handle everything I'm going to encounter for the next few years. Hmm. That's interesting. That's Is there one thing you would tell golfers as they pursue wedges that they're either probably overthinking or probably underthinking when it comes to wedge design? Well, I think they're definitely underthinking the importance of the design of the club head. You know, I mean, if you go into the to the store and you go to the wedge display and there's 300 wedges there. And if you look past the graphics and the nuanced, you know, little exterior design, they're all the same golf club for the most part. If you go to the driver display and I mean, Callaway's technology and TaylorMade's technology and Cobra's technology are all similar, but they still have their, their differences that are pretty important. Um, but you don't see that in the wedge category. And that, so I think the biggest thing is understand how the shaping of the golf club head is going to affect the golf shots. And then also understand you can the chances of you picking a wedge off the rack and having the right shaft and the right angle and, and all that is pretty slim. And that's why we custom build everything. We don't make stock wedges. And, you know, 60% of our orders are probably standard link, standard lie. Uh, 40% of our orders, you know, we have, we, we're doing things to help that golfer get a better fit. And so I think golfers, you know, they overthink bounce and grinds. Um, you know, every grind of these special grinds on wedges, every grind was developed by a major brand by working with one specific tour player who really liked that grind. And then maybe other players found they really liked it. But if you look at the PJ Tour guys, almost every one of them has some kind of a custom grind on their wedge that they could feel the difference in. Because they have elite skills that the rest of us can't even fathom. And you've been around these tour guys. They can feel things on a golf club we can barely measure. The rest of us, we need to buy two or three wedges, put them in our bag, and they need to work. I mean, we play five or six different golf courses, maybe 20 over the next two, three, four years. We're going to play these wedges. We're going to hit every kind of shot imaginable. We're going to miss every kind of shot imaginable. But that wedge needs to work through the the range of life that I'm going to give it. And while we're going through a set of wedges for our 50 or 60 or 100 rounds a year, the tour player is going through, you know, 10 or 15 sets because he's playing all kinds of different conditions or she playing all kinds of different conditions and, and they're working on their technique, constantly changing their technique, perfecting it. And they may find, Hey, I need to take a little off the heel or a little off the toe to let me hit this golf shot I've been working on. But, but we watch those guys week in and week out on TV. They're magicians around the green, not because of the wedges they play, but because of the thousands of hours they spend learning every possible way to hit a shot 35 feet. And, you know, they're magical about that. And they, they do it. The wedges are tool. They have it where they want it. But they basically learn the game with wedges that haven't changed much. And that lack of change has kept the wedge category relatively stagnant. I'm out here as a lone voice in the wilderness saying, hey, your wedges need to look different and play different because your game is different. Hmm. Well, I'm well, hoping people get a chance to go out and try them for themselves. I know THP has some really interesting testing going on right now. 
They've actually got some guys in there having way too much fun hitting high on the face. <laughs> uh, it's fun to follow along, and there's there's information, feedback, pictures, everything going on there. So if, if you're curious about the wedges, you should definitely go take a look. There's tons of feedback going on over there. Um, Terry, any final thoughts before we wrap it up today? You know, I mean, Danny, you've asked some great questions. It's always fun talking about wedges. I mean, I've spent 30-plus years of my life studying wedges and and how the ball comes off of it and what we can do to improve performance. And, you know, I'll continue to chase improvement because that's what I do. It's what I like doing. Um, the Edison 2.0 reflects everything I've learned to wed about wedges to this point in my life, but I'm going to keep learning. Um, that's what I do every day. I'm going to keep listening to golfers. And, you know, we have this wedge fit uh, scoring range analysis, we call it. And it gives me opportunity to listen to you know, a thousand, two thousand new golfers every month. On what are they saying about their scoring range? What challenges do they have? And you know, I have a blog that we interact with. And um, you know, you never learn enough about anything, any topic. Nobody ever got so good at anything that it lost interest. And so, uh, whether you're playing the game or designing the golf clubs, I I remain very interested. And um, you know, we we'll build any wedge for anybody. And let you see what we're doing. I mean, it's there's no risk except uh, getting used to a lower handicap if we can save you some shots inside 100 yards or so. I love that. Well, I'll tell you what, everyone, go check out Edison Wedges. They have a brand new 2.0. Uh, I've noted are new this March, so it's been a couple couple months now since introduction. Um, Terry seems to be around and, and available for conversation in numerous locations on the internet as well as the website. So. Go, uh, go at least bug him a little bit over there. I, I think he enjoys talking about this game that we all love so much. So, Terry, again, always appreciate you having on, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing the continued development of this wedge. It's, it's a very interesting, interesting club. Well, they are interesting and they're different, and uh, that's what we're pursuing. Is so, you know what the old saying: if you if you're happy with what you've always gotten, keep doing what you've always done, and. I don't know any golfer that said, I'm too good now. I don't want to get any better. I never met that guy that says, I play too much and I play too good. Never met him. Don't think that person exists. So our goal is to help you get more out of the short end of your set, which is probably not getting the attention that the long clubs get. Um, but, you know, there's not a listener out there that can't find, you know, one, two, four or five shots around inside 100 yards they feel like they threw away. And we, I think we can help you recover some of those. I have met that guy, Terry. He's never on the golf course, though. Always in the bar talking about his game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you make your bet with him there. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, hey, if you're having, if you're playing golf this weekend, have a great time. Make it count. Um, and I'll see you guys next week. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode.